Welcome to the Secure Your Retirement Podcast. This is the place where high achieving professionals come to gain confidence on how to successfully navigate their transition into and life during retirement. There's no such thing as a passive retirement plan. To have a successful financial future, your plan must be actively managed. Each week, we will bring you action plans and expert interviews that will help you gain insights, learn fresh perspectives, and finally experience peace of mind about your retirement. Here to help you achieve your dream retirement and live the life you deserve are your hosts, certified financial planners, Raiden Stancil and Merce Tariq. Welcome to our podcast. Today, we are going to be talking um, really kind of all things around mortgages and we're really going to focus a lot on mortgages around someone who's close to or already in retirement. And as I thought this through and thought, who do I want to reach out to who I feel would uh, give us probably the best clarity, the best answers that I could possibly do, it really one name came to mind, and that was Tammy Rowe. Um, I've actually known Tammy now for 14 years. Uh, we've worked together. She's worked with a lot of our clients, and um, uh, she's actually worked with me personally. And I tell you, all every time I ever ask Tammy a question, every time I ever ask her about anything mortgage, anything about what's going on in the industry, I always get very, very good answers. And I always feel that I can trust whatever Tammy tells me. So Tammy, I am extremely excited to have you on today and to be able to have a good conversation with you. Thanks so much, Raiden. It's great to be here. Good to see you guys. Well, good. Well, you know what, just so that everybody can get a chance just to, to know you a little bit uh, and get a little bit of your background, how long have you been in this this industry of helping folks with mortgages? Well, I've been originally for 15 years now. I started back in March of 2005. Okay, nice. So what got you to, to look into this industry? What made you make that transition? Well, I have a pretty varied background. I've worked for GE and IBM and Cisco. And back when I worked for GE Capital, I was in a training program. And it was a two and a half year program. Every six months, you'd rotate to a different position. And I found myself in my last position here in Raleigh working for GE Mortgage Insurance. And so that's where I learned to speak mortgage, basically, and learn the ins and outs of the mortgage industry. So from there, it was a really easy transition to get into originating mortgages. Um, back at GE Mortgage Insurance, I was selling private mortgage insurance to mortgage lenders, not realizing that I'd be, my, uh, be one myself one day. And so then the transition was pretty simple, since I already understood and had the foundation um, of the mortgage industry behind me. And so um, what I loved about it is it just kind of married together my um, love for analytic, analytics, playing with numbers, and then also interacting with people. Very nice. Very good. Yeah, that's a nice background. So what type of role are you in right now, Tammy, specifically? Right now, I originate mortgage loans. So I assist people when they are in the market to purchase a new home or refinance, and it's the residential market only. And I serve the entire state of North Carolina, and I help home buyers, whether it be for their primary residence, their second home, or their investment property. Okay, good. Now, you, you obviously have helped, I'm sure, many, many families over the years. So when you think about what you love about what you do in this business, how would you describe that? What do you love about what you do? Wow. Um, what I love about it is just um, the thrill that... Um, homeowners have when they attain their goal of home ownership, when they were in a position where they thought maybe it wasn't possible, 
maybe they were credit challenged and it was coming up with a strategy to get them to a position where they could qualify um, or, you know, just helping people that um, maybe thought they couldn't qualify that uh, attain that dream of home ownership, just seeing the excitement and how it changes their family, um, not just immediately, but for generations to come is just really gratifying and um, just seeing how much people appreciate you for how you're able to help them. Um, that's really what I love most about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is the American dream, right? The ability to own your own property. And so I bet it's very gratifying to be able to work with someone through that process. Mm-hmm. Um, so thanks for sharing that. Can you give us an idea uh, or tell us a little bit about your family and you know, what, what do you guys do? What do you do outside of uh, originating loans? Nothing. Um, So my family, um, I'm a single mom. I have three teenagers. My oldest is 18 and I just dropped her off last week over at ECU. And so that was a, that was definitely bittersweet. Hmm. Then I have um, twins that are boy girl and they are rising juniors going to Leesville Road High School. So of course attending virtually now in light of COVID. And, um, and I also have a sweet dog, Bailey. Um, he's the love of our life and he's a cute little poodle mix. And, um, so in our spare time when I'm not originating mortgages, I I really love to do anything outdoors. Um, I love working out, exercise, hiking, biking, yoga, paddle boarding, skiing, um, really anything that gets me outside with uh, fresh air, nature and activity, um, to help with, you know, mental and physical health. You know, that's pretty much what I enjoy doing. And of course, traveling, love the beach and the mountains and living here in Raleigh affords you, you know, the ability to get to either one pretty quickly. Right. Yeah. Well, good. Well, so again, we appreciate you being here. We want to talk a little bit about mortgages. And so let me kind of give you a little bit of background about who, uh, what we are, what we're trying to explain to our listeners. So most folks who we work with are individuals that are real close to, and many of them are already in retirement. So that means they don't have income coming in like they did when they were working. They don't have a W-2. So they have investments, they have social security, they might have a pension. So they've got these different things. And one of the questions that people come up to us is they say, you know, whether it be a second home or a refinance, whatever it might be, they, they, the question is, can I actually qualify for mortgage? What do I have to show for income in order to be able to get that mortgage? So could you just walk us through, you know, a, kind of thinking along the lines of a retiree, what they would need to think about for income purposes? Absolutely. So uh, there's lots of different revenue streams that uh, someone retired can, um, can look at. One would be Social Security. Uh, another would be their pension. Um, some unique ways that I help qualify people if they don't already have sufficient income coming in, we can set up a distribution from their retirement plan as long as they have unrestricted access and uh, there's three years continuance of that income. Then we can just set up a monthly set distribution and then that can be used as an income stream. Additionally, we can use employment related assets. So if someone has a large uh, retirement account, um, if you subtract out any penalty that they would have from withdrawing those funds, and then from that balance, take 70%, and then you take that amount and you divide it by the number of months, the term of the mortgage, let's say it's a 30 year, you then divide that number by 360, then that number can be used towards their income for qualifying as well. Okay. So a lot of 
creative ways you can look at it. Did All right. You that? <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, that was a lot there. So I want to kind of just <laughs> take us back because most of the folks that are are going to be, they're just simply listening to this. We don't really have the visuals for everyone. So let's just talk about that one thing you said. I'm going to slow it down for a second. I'm going to just use some numbers. I, and I think what you said, I'm going to repeat it back to you, is that if we've got an account, and let's just use a number we can all do math off of, a million dollars in their account. You said take 70% of that. Is that what you were working off of? You take 70% after you've subtracted out any penalty that they might have to pay for withdrawing the funds. Okay. So let's say there's no penalty. We got a okay. million dollars in the account. Yep. You take 70% of that. So now okay. we're looking at 700,000. Correct. And then what was the next part of the math? Then you would take the 700,000 and you would divide it by the term of the mortgage. Okay. So it's a 30 year. You would divide that by 360. I got you. All right. So then that's going to get us into some math where the, the, that the, um, that the mortgage lender then is going to look at that and kind of say, okay, now we understand that there is viability for them to be able to produce income, even though it might not be an income producer yet. Correct. And that would give you $1,944 per month of income. Ah, fantastic. Yeah. Great. <laughs> so, and that, that, so now what that does is that just gives a, that's just a, an, in all essence, an underwriter is going to go through and kind of pull that math. So we don't, technically have to have the distribution coming out. We can just use that formula if we want to. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's good to know. I did not know about that side of it. I just kind of assumed there always needs to be some type of cash flow coming in to qualify, but mm -hmm. that's a, that's a great little um, trick if you would call it, or just an insider's knowledge there. So thank you for that. Um, so on when we're looking at um, say someone's looking to buy a house uh, but they haven't sold theirs yet. What do they need to be thinking through as far as the ability to qualify for basically a second mortgage? Sure. They need to take a look at their new housing expense in addition to their existing housing expense. And then an underwriter is also going to look at the monthly payments that are associated with any trade lines that show up on the credit report. That's basically any debt you have on your credit report. You take those monthly payments so when you add all that up together, you're, multi you're dividing that rather um, by the borrower's monthly gross income before taxes. And you want that ratio to fall typically no more than 45 to 50% max when you're looking at a conventional loan. Okay. Okay, good. And, and just to give a little bit of context, what we have sometimes is like, um, so we might have a client who they live in their home, they're getting it ready. They think that where they live and uh, many folks live in an area right now at this very moment that the houses are moving quickly, but they want to move into this, let's say retirement type community. And this just say that that place might be ready uh, and they want to go ahead and at least lock it in. They want to get qualified for that house. They want to get qualified to say if they're going to have a, a mortgage on there, but they still have this house they're in. So they could, can they, let's say that that house is six months out from being built. They could, can they get a, like a letter of, of qualification that could at least get that locked in while they're trying to sell the other house? Absolutely. Yes. And if, and if the, um, if their income can handle the debt load, then they don't have to make the new purchase contingent upon the sale. So it's just a matter of talking to a mortgage professional to run the numbers for you to see whether the offer needs to be contingent on the sale or not. And then another big thing people are looking at is the funds for down payment. Let's say they want to sell their departing residence, but they either don't think it'll be sold in time or they want the convenience of not having to sell it before they close on the new purchase transaction. 
Uh, what I do for a lot of my clients is do a home equity line of credit on the departing residence. So we pull that equity out in advance. So you have it for down payment funds on your new purchase. Okay. And yeah, as long as they can handle the debt load, it's a great strategy to where they're making the down payment they want to before they sell their departing residence. Okay. So that, that kind of leads me into my uh, basically a follow-up question in this topic is, um, so you, you said the home equity line for a down payment on the next house. Um, sometimes this, this term of a bridge loan comes up and I think it, it's not as common as it used to be, but uh, how would a bridge loan apply in this, in a situation where someone's trying to transition between houses? That's pretty much what I described. It's, yeah. it, it serves the same purpose. The bridge loan uh, just has a little bit different terms, a little more restrictive. Um, but um, it's, it's pretty much the same concept. Good. So now when we talk about this idea of a second home, uh, would you do that same thing? I want to go back to this. So here's another thing we have. We have a client, let's say, let's say we have clients who have a home, their primary home is completely paid off. They don't have any debt on that, but they decide that they want to buy a beach house or a house, at the mountains or something like that. And maybe a lot of their money, a lot of our clients, the majority of their money is in IRAs or 401ks. So if they take the money out of there for the down payment, they're going to pay taxes on it. So is that another scenario? Like, so for example, if they want to put 20% down on that second home, we could use that equity line of credit. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then that's not going to hurt them. They put that money down. And then um, as far as qualifying for a second home, is there a different set of qualifications for that? Or does it just still come down to those same type of numbers? We got to have a certain amount of income to handle the debt load. Exactly, Raiden. It's, um, it's handling the debt load. And really the only difference is, you know, with a second home, you need to make a 10% down payment. But the interest rates are going to be the same as if you're buying a primary residence. Okay, good. So while we're in the nitty gritty of how to get approved for a loan, uh, you did, it, you mentioned this um, debt to income ratio. So can you give us an example of say someone who has income of about $100,000? Uh, can you give us an example of what that means as far as debt to income? Well, so it's all a matter of pulling their credit to see what their debt load is, because anything that appears on their credit report, we're going to take the monthly payment associated with any balance, whether it be, you know, an auto loan, student debt, credit cards, installment loans. So whatever the monthly payment is associated with those debts, we're going to take that and add that to the monthly housing debt and take that number and divide it by the monthly gross income. And again, that number, you don't want to exceed 50% for conventional financing. Gotcha. So if we have someone that's, um, they're, they're, you said their monthly debt, so their monthly debt is maybe $3,000 a month. So you take that to an annual by 12 and that's $36,000 a year, but they have $100,000 of income. Well, they're well below that 50%. So they should be in a, in a pretty good shape to qualify for something. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Good. Now you talked about this a few times and, and I've had this conversation come up a couple of times now and they, they go, you, you're not going to believe this. I just paid off my house and I paid off a couple other debts because I'm getting ready for getting ready for retirement. And I just paid it off and my credit score actually ended up going down. They're like, how does that even happen? Now I have no debt and my credit score went down. And I know you talk a lot about credit score. What could somebody do if you're planning? So, you know, somebody's like planning something out over the next six months or something for some, for whatever it might be. 
how, what type of things should they look for when it comes to credit score? Sure, absolutely. I know with credit, a lot of times it's counterintuitive. And so what you think is going to benefit goes and hurts you. Um, so it's really important when you're planning a new home purchase, there's a few things you want to look at. Um, you want to make sure to keep all of your credit cards, your revolving credit, active and open. And um, you want to have the highest credit limit you can, such that what you're charging does not exceed, ideally, 10% of your credit limit. So um, if you can't manage that, you definitely want to try not to go above 30%. But to yield you the credit score when you pull credit, if your balances on those revolving debts are less than 10% of that credit limit, that's going to help you the most. Um, you want to make sure you don't close any accounts down. So let's say you've had a credit card, you've racked up a lot of debt on, and you get to a point where you're able to pay it all the way off, you want to keep that credit card open. Because if you close it down, let's say you've had it for 20 years and it's got a perfect payment history. Once you close that down, it eliminates that great credit history that you've built. And that is going to hurt your credit score because it eliminates that from the calculation. So all the good that you did is now gone. So um, obviously, you know, you want to make all your payments on time, not have any late payments. You want to avoid a bunch of new inquiries because every time you have a hard credit hit, it, that's going to impact your score and bring it down. Um, so minimize inquiries, you know, trying to avoid getting 10% off at, you know, Banana Republic, just, you know, <laughs> um, avoid those inquiries when you can unless it's absolutely necessary. And um, I think that's pretty much the bulk of it. It's just having credit, keeping it active and open and keeping those balances less than 10% of your credit limit, ideally. Yeah. I hope that you are enjoying the show. By the way, if you are in or nearing retirement and are someone who wants to gain clarity on what questions you should be asking, learn what the biggest retirement myths are, and identify what you could be doing to achieve peace of mind for your retirement, get started today by requesting your complimentary video course, Four Steps to Secure Your Retirement. To access the course, simply visit pomwealth.net forward slash podcast. If you're new here or you haven't done this yet, this is definitely the first step to get started in applying these principles to your life. So head over to pomwealth.net forward slash podcast and check us out. So let's just kind of take us through the process. Um, so I'm going to paint a picture and, and then you tell me kind of, let's just walk through. You're advising me through this whole process. So I come to you and I say, uh, Tammy, I want to buy um, uh, another home and I'm going to sell this home and buy the other home. Walk me through what I need to do in kind of like a step process, whether it be buying a second home or another home. What do I need to do? Like, tell me the steps I'm going to have before I even go out and start putting out offers or anything like that. What do I need to first step? Well, the first step is to speak with a mortgage professional to get your uh, full pre-approval. And so you're going to provide, you know, you're going to fill out an application basically where you provide two years residence history, two years employment history, uh, information on your income and your assets, uh, any property that you own. So you're giving your whole financial picture. And then the mortgage lender you work with is going to pull your credit, look at your um, debt to income ratio. They're going to look at your credit, your employment, your assets, um, and then gather all the necessary documents from you to figures that you've provided in your application. 
Yeah, and 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 I would, would that be the exact same? Because for let's, let's, I'm sorry, I want to do this. I'm gonna go back and forth. Let's say I'm doing a refinance. Basically, all those steps are the same. There's no real difference there. I'm just not going out to put an offer in. If I come right. to you and say I want to do a refinance, you're going to take me through that entire same process. That's correct. Yes. Okay. So now I get an approval for something. What else am I going to now? What's the next thing that they're going to ask? They being you know the mortgage folks. So what are you going to ask for me next after I get my pre-approval? Uh, really not, nothing until you go under contract. Once you're under contract, we'll get a copy of the contract. And uh, depending on when the closing date is, we'll decide whether we're locking an interest rate or floating it. And then the next step from there is to sign your typical loan disclosures and provide any additional documents that are needed to submit into underwriting. And uh, once the borrower signs their disclosures, that's when we can order the appraisal. Um, that's where the appraiser goes out to do a home inspection to determine the value of the property. And that's the collateral upon which we lend. And those usually take about a week or so. And at the same time, we're submitting the complete loan file into underwriting where the underwriter looks at all those things we just talked about, the credit, the employment, the assets, and the debt to income to determine if the borrower is credit worthy and um, they issue a loan approval if the loan officer's done a good job and uh, provided a good file. And then they um, tell you that the approval typically is um, conditional and they let you know what conditions need to be satisfied in order to move to final approval. So then we would work with the borrower to collect any remaining documents needed to get them to final approval. And then from that point, once they get final approved, we send a closing package to the attorney and the paralegal at the attorney's office works with our closer to finalize the closing disclosure. And that has all of the final figures for closing. Very nice. Gotcha. Yeah. So that the, the whole process of um, getting a mortgage uh, is pretty, pretty lengthy in the sense of it takes some time. But so what I gathered just now is the first step is to get pre-approved from a lender. And then the second step is go out and find that house that you want to buy potentially. And then after you've put an offer in, then you can basically you're gonna there's gonna be a whole list of things that need to be done to where to where you get to where you are actually under contract with um uh to buy the house. Is that right? That's correct. That's and then correct. more steps after that <laughs> to get to closing. Right. But you said Definitely. one thing you said one thing in there, um, which when I was a couple of years ago when I was buying my house and selling my townhouse, uh we we basically committed um, well before you could do this thing where, where you said interest rate lock period. Um, and so can you help us understand what a lock period is? I know with me, I had the option to do, um, I believe it was a 30 day lock or I could ascend what I, the way I understood it was pay a premium to lock out 120 days. Maybe that number was, um, so can you maybe go through the pros and cons of why someone would maybe choose to lock an interest rate? Sure. There's, um, there's various lock periods. And the way it works, essentially, is that the longer an interest rate is held, the more expensive it is. And so, ideally, um, you'd be able to lock sh you know, shortly before your closing um, to get the best rate. But if you're concerned about the trend of interest rates, you can do what you're talking about as far as like an extended rate lock, where you pay a premium to lock in advance. Uh, but you are paying a premium for that. And depending on the lock period, some of it may be able to be refunded at closing. Um, but um, 
what I have found typically is that um, for most of the clients that have done extended rate locks for me in the past, it's always fared better if they were just to have waited it out and locked when they got closer to the closing date. So it really just depends on the market and the particular extended rate lock program. Yeah. Um, yeah. While you're telling that story, I was trying to think through what exactly happened in my situation. And we had, we had signed to build uh, in December and then, and we, we just elected to float with whatever the market was as far as the rate goes. And then, uh, but that 120 day lock or something was closer to the rate at the time was 3.75. And the lock rate was say, was something around maybe 4.7. So I, in my head, I said, I don't think rates are possibly going to go up that much in the six months it's going to take to build a house. So I just went with the floating. And ultimately, it ended up being pretty close. So their math is pretty solid. Um, uh, the rate that I ended up getting at the time of, of moving into the house was 4.625. This was a couple of years ago. Well, I need to help you refi that. <laughs> well, that, I think that's going to lead into our next topic is refinances. I think we have a few minutes we can go through that. Um, but yeah, so I ended up ultimately doing a refi last year and now I'm at three and a half or something like that. Yeah, so that's the next question we were going to ask is, so can you, can you give us some guidance if somebody's listening and they've got whatever their rate is um, and, we, and we know that we could potentially get a lower rate at what that, what does that spread need to be to make it attractive enough to actually go through a refinance? That's a great question. A lot of people have this thought that it needs to drop a full percentage point before it makes sense. But in reality, it's really a matter of your particular scenario, how long you're going to remain in the house or keep that mortgage, and then to do a break-even calculation to see how long it takes to break even on the fees and compare that to how long you're going to retain the mortgage to see whether it makes sense. So it's very unique. Yeah. And, so I mean, you know, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say, do you have like a rule of thumb like that says, if I'm gonna recoup my expenses in however many months, whatever it might be, or do you kind of let the person say, well, no, that makes sense to me? Or is there kind of like something that you would say, you know what, I recommend this, at this being the edge, whatever that is. Well, I find out how, le how long they're going to stay living in the house or keep the mortgage. And if they're only going to be in the house two years and it takes a year and a half to break even on the fees, it, you know, it's probably not worthwhile. Okay. You know, or you look at doing maybe a no closing cost refinance where you take on a little bit higher rate and then pay the fees. Um, the lender pays the fees just by giving a little bit higher interest rate to have more revenue on the back end to cover the fees for them. So, so different ways you could look at it, but really it's, it's dependent upon how long they're going to keep the mortgage as to whether it makes sense or not. Yeah. So I guess what I was trying to think about, let's just say somebody's listening before they even call you or anybody, are you saying everybody should call you? Or if I've got a rate that's at, you know, and I go look at rates online and my rate is at least a half a percent higher? Should it make me then at least say, I need to go talk to somebody like, you know, but if I found out that rates are like right where I'm at, then maybe I don't need to have that conversation. I'm trying to figure out what would it take to trigger me to say, Hey, I need to get on the phone and talk to Tammy. I think everyone should talk to a mortgage professional because there's so many different reasons a refinance may make sense that are outside of what we're even discussing. I mean, if someone currently has private mortgage insurance and their home is appreciated and they could refinance at even you know the same rate or slightly lower and eliminate the mortgage insurance you know 
you know, be significant, a great opportunity. Maybe they've racked up some credit card debt and we can pay that off and finance it into a very low 30 year fixed versus, you know, something even below 3% compared to what you're paying on credit cards over 20%. Um, maybe you need additional funds for, you know, college funding. Um, right now, lots of people are, um, building their backyard oasis in the light of COVID and everybody wanting to stay home and have more um, opportunity to enjoy their backyards. Lots of people are doing cash out refinances to build pools and do work in their backyards. Um, maybe people are in an adjustable rate mortgage and they want the security of a 30 year fixed to where they're not worried about the variability of interest rates. Um, or lots of people want to reduce their term. They're currently in a 30 year fixed and if they drop to a 15-year fix, they're going to save you know, loads of interest over the life of the loan and get a much lower interest rate. So there's so many different reasons that it can't hurt to talk to someone to see if it makes sense. There's no obligation. There's no fee. And it's always good to just have a, maybe an annual mortgage review to see if it makes sense to do anything different. Yeah. Yeah. So that brings me to a question on um, when you're talking about a big part of refinancing is you got to evaluate the fees. Well, oftentimes um, they're, they're flyers or you can search different banks' websites and everything. And they're always um, uh, marketing heavily, uh, basically no closing costs or zero cost refinance. Uh, what are some things that someone, our listeners need to think about when they hear that no cost finance? What are, you know, are there any gotchas there, I guess? Yeah, that in and of itself is kind of a huge gotcha because that's a misnomer. There are always costs involved. It's just a matter of how you're paying them. You can't avoid it. I mean, you've got to pay the attorney for the closing. You've got to record the deed. You need title insurance. You've got lender fees. So there's always fees involved. Um, but the way that I guess the terminology of a no, cloth, no closing cost refi, what the lender is doing is they are giving a little bit higher interest rate to be able to provide a lender credit to cover those fees. Okay. And that may make perfect sense if you're still getting a lower rate and it doesn't cost you anything, you know, it's something great to look at. So it's just a matter of looking at the different options to see what makes the most sense and to see how long you're going to be in the house or retain that mortgage to see which option works best for your scenario. So I think I know the answer to this for myself, but I want to hear it from you. If, if what, how would you describe somebody talking to you and they go, Tammy, what would I get or why would I talk to you, a person like you face to face, person to person, zoom to zoom, whatever we're doing right now, you know, we, what, what, why would I do that versus just going online, searching rates and working with an online provider where I'm working with a whatever, uh, there's a number of them out there where I'm just kind of online, they're putting their rate out there, I can see it. And then I'm going to work with maybe somebody that I don't know, or even can't have that conversation with. Could you tell us why you would say, hey, I believe that, that working with someone like you would, would add an advantage? Sure. Um, there's several reasons. I know personally, before I give somebody my social security number and have them pull my credit report, the last thing I want to do is provide that personal information to someone that I can't meet face to face. Uh, that you know that person is potentially across the country and I can't locate them. Uh, that's concerning to me. So you know, with the, in today with so much fraud, 
it's really important that you work with somebody that's reputable, that's in your market. Uh, additionally, there's so many different people to orchestrate in a mortgage transaction that there truly is a benefit to working with someone in your local market to orchestrate all the parties. You know, if it's a purchase, you've got the realtor, you've got homeowner's insurance, you've got the uh, closing attorney. And if somebody's across the country, it's a lot more difficult to orchestrate that smoothly to ensure that you close on time. So, um, and just, you know, getting a recommendation, looking online at the reviews that somebody has is very important because that's the largest debt of your life, typically, what I have found with most of my borrowers. And you really want to put that in the hands of somebody that you can't meet them face to face. Um, so I think for those reasons, then also accessibility. Uh, I think most of the people you're going to talk to online, you've got them maybe Monday through Friday, nine to five, where you know, I've been in this market over 15 years and the partners that I work with know that they can get a hold of me, whether it's nighttime or weekends, and that I'll be there to answer questions and to help. So I think the accessibility piece and the reputation is very important as well. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Um, so clearly in talking with you for a short while, I mean, you've got a lot of experience, you've got a lot of knowledge and, um, uh, and a lot of tools at your disposal for people that come to you. So Tammy, can you tell us, you know, if someone after listening to this podcast has more questions um, about anything regarding mortgages, um, how could they reach out to you? And what would that process look like, that initial consultation? Sure, they can reach me by phone, 919-624-5550. Uh, they can also go to my website, which is just my name, TammyRowe.com. And that's spelled T-A-M-M-I-R-O-W-E.com. Um, and that's where you can apply online and get information. And um, as far as um, the next steps, just to call me and I can help you with my application. And the process usually only takes about 20, 30 minutes, depending on the questions that you have to get you fully pre-approved. Very nice. And we'll have, by the way, just so you know, um, for all the listeners, is that that information that Tammy just gave out with her phone number and her website and all that stuff will actually be in our show notes. So they'll just be able to find that real easy. And uh, especially if you have to spell Tammy with an I and then Roe with a W. So uh, W-E rather. Well, thank you so much, Tammy. It has been very, very insightful. We do certainly appreciate you coming on and just kind of helping us break down things that I'm sure for you seems uh, like, hey, I do this every day. But for us that don't do this every day, these are the questions that we have and it, it truly did help us. So thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you. It's been great. Appreciate it. All right, everyone. That wraps up today's episode of the Secure Your Retirement podcast. If you found value in today's episode, we would love nothing more than for you to head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and a review. Be sure to take a screenshot of the review before you submit it, and we'll send you a special gift. Our book, Get Off the Retirement Roller Coaster. Just email morgan at pomwealth.net with a screenshot of the review to get your gift. Also, be sure to subscribe so you get notified of new episodes as they're released every week. And finally, please share our podcast with your favorite social network so more of your friends and family can benefit from this information. Always remember, you've worked hard to get where you are, and now you deserve to have a retirement that works hard for you.